Good morning. We're gonna we're gonna start by thinking a little bit about about Peter. That night, that night of Peter's denial, we know it fairly well. Jesus had had just told him, right? Jesus had just told him that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. That he would deny his teacher, he would deny his Lord, his master, the one whom he had made the claim that you are the Son of God. That you're going to deny me three times, he said. What's Peter's response to that? Do you remember what Peter said at the time? There is, I'll paraphrase a little, there is no way. There is no way. If, even if all else leave you, I will not. I will follow you unto death. I would rather die than deny you. Doesn't matter if doesn't matter if all these other disciples leave, it doesn't matter what anyone else does. Surely I will stay with you. I will never leave you. Those are some strong words, right? That's a that's a strong statement from Peter. Surely he believes it, right? He believes in what he's just said. At that moment when Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, and he says, no, not I, he's not just saying that to, to make an excuse or to placate Jesus. He, he believes it, right? Right? This is the same Peter that stepped out of a boat to walk on water because Jesus had called him out. The same Peter who was the first of the disciples to recognize in Jesus that he was the Son of God. Peter meant it when he said he would stay with Jesus till the end. So what happens between that moment and the moment we just read? It's not that long of a time. So what happens between that, that strong moment? What happens to Peter, who is this person of seemingly of this profound understanding and faith in Jesus that is willing to, to do all of these things to be his disciple, to go and teach, to standing around a campfire and a girl comes up and says, aren't you one of his disciples? And he says, no, not, not, not me. Surely you're, you're with him. No, not I. Okay, you were with him in the garden, we, right? We saw you. No, not, not me. I've always wondered what it was like for Peter to hear that rooster crow. Because it says, and we just read in John, it says that he said, no, not me. And immediately after that, the rooster crows. And you think it just, it was one of those moments when he would have just, it would have just hit him. It would have just struck him at what he has just done. And what Jesus had said. You know, there's probably, when you look at the events of the night, there's probably, you could say, that he might have forgotten as things unfolded. 
what Jesus has said? Because Jesus makes this proclamation that you're going you're to deny me. And then, and then all this kerfuffle happens, right? And he gets arrested and taken. And Peter's following along. And everything's unfolding. And, and it's, you know, it's going badly. Until that moment when the rooster crows. And he knows what he's done. Turn into, into John chapter 21. As much as that is a, a night that, that Peter will never forget, his denials, uh, Jesus going to the cross, Jesus' death, over the next few days is his burial, his resurrection, the tomb being, being empty, leading into, into this in John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you, all, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted. And when you were old, you, when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter's story doesn't end that night when he denied Jesus. As much as that is this momentous occasion that we remember from Peter's life, and sometimes, you know, Peter might get a, a, a bad rap there, because Jesus had said about, what about all the disciples? You're all going to leave me. You're all going to desert me. And they all said what? No, no, we're never going to do that. And then not that much longer, they all ran away. But we remember Peter because of these events. But his, his story doesn't end there. It doesn't end with those denials. It, it doesn't even end here with him being reinstated. It doesn't, it doesn't end at this moment either. He has a, a, an entire life that he, that he picks up from that mistake. He picks up from being reinstated. He picks up and goes out and begins to, to do exactly what God and Jesus here had told him to do, had asked him to do. Feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. You will do this, follow me. And Peter picks himself up and he goes and he does exactly that. And here, Jesus indicates to him the kind of death he would have, and the kind of death that, that history tells us Peter had isn't a good one. That he was martyred for, for the name of Jesus, and some in history say that he, was, that he was crucified upside down. Now, whether that's true or not, that's what some in history say. That he went and died for the name of, of Jesus, unwilling to relent in his teaching about Jesus. He reads this devoted life to God. 
it's an, it's an amazing set of events, isn't it? The, the reality of, of looking at that and seeing an example from, from our lives in that, I hope we do. That we understand where we were, we understand uh, what we've done, we understand the, the sins of our lives and the need to repent of them and to be brought back to Jesus. Ultimately, before we were, we were Christians, we have this, this weight of sin and death on us that can be washed away by the, the blood of Jesus. But then even as Christians, that we need to continue to, to repent of our sins and follow Him. Simon's life, even in the few verses we just read, had some pretty low lows, right? And some pretty high highs. Do we have those in our life? Yeah. And in the stretches where the low lows are, are really hard, and sometimes it feels like life is great when we're going through the, the high moments. But in all of those, in all of those moments, we have to strive to be what God has called us to be. And there's, a, there's an inherent difficulty in that sometimes because of the temptation of the world, because of the sin of the world around us, because of our own lack of wisdom sometimes, our own poor choices. But there is a knowledge of, and wisdom that comes from God that allows us to understand the calling that He has placed on each and every one of us. That we must love Him and follow Him. That we must dedicate our lives to being what He has called us to be. Peter goes and does this. It's not the, it's not the only time that Peter's going to have a low moment. One of the interactions between between Peter and Paul that, that is shared with us is, is Paul going to correct Peter on some teaching. It's probably not a, not a highlight of his life. But he continues to be faithful and continues to teach. Even after such a, a public denial, he stood and, and preached the word of God, taking the message of Jesus into the world to all who would listen. Again, even, even unto death. Turn into into First Peter, and I'd like to to read a, a passage from from First Peter. Interesting to to look at someone's wife and to look at, at Peter's wife and see how it it unfolded to see how he was taught and how he then continues to as led by the Holy Spirit uh, continues to teach. So in First Peter it says this to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's 1 Peter, verses 1 through 2. Interesting here, this is to, to God's elect. To God's elect. These are, these are those that have followed the calling of the gospel. It says that there's a, a foreknowledge there that God already knew those who would be these that chose His Son. And so these are now God's elect. And so this is the, the passage of Scripture in First Peter that, that this is written to them in these provinces. I think we can expand that as we look at Scripture and see that the Holy Spirit desired for us also to have a knowledge of these things. So here we have this idea of God's elect. And they're to be what? 
to be strangers in the world. What, what does it mean to be a stranger in the world you live in? I mean, we have a, we have a knowledge of our world, right? We've, we've lived here our entire lives, everybody, right? Anyone else went out on a limb there? Everyone has lived here their entire lives. So we know this world. How, how are we strangers in it then? Aren't we quite comfortable here? Don't we? Do we kind of know how everything works? We know. We know gravity. We know uh, the the forces of nature. We know how the the seasons are going to change. Right. We know all these things that God has told us about our world. And yet, the calling is for us not to feel at home here, but to be aliens here, to be strangers in this world. Where. Where is our citizenship? Why? And this is, a, I think, a fundamental question of our lives. Where does your citizenship lie? You pull out your, your passport, it tells you from Canada or, or any other country that you're from. It, it tells you that that's, your, that's where your citizenship is. So your, your spiritual one, the spiritual passport you're going to pull out, is also going to say something, right? So where does your citizenship lie if we were to to pull that out and to have a, have a look at it. Far too often, far too often, we get comfortable in the world and our citizenship is pretty close to being in the world. And again, we're not talking about the world in a physical sense. God created us to be here. Okay, God created us to live in this world in a physical world. This is the world God created for us. It's His world. We're talking about this world of sin that is a part of the world we live in through our own choices, through our own, our own thoughts, our own deeds. Are we comfortable in that? Or do we desire something different? Have we changed out of that because we are now a part of God's elect? That we are strangers in the world because He has chosen us and we have chosen Him. Interesting thought. You know, you get into most countries and you, if you're traveling, what do they do to your passport? You know, you can go through your passport if you've traveled a lot and you can see all the places you've been because they leave a stamp, right? You're going to get one stamp or the other. <laughs> There's only two destinations in which your passport gets you into, spiritual sense. And you're going to get one stamp or you're going to get the other. Which direction are we heading as God's creation, for all of us are God's creation, are we going to get a stamp that says, Welcome to eternity of life? Or a stamp that says, This is an eternity of separation from God, this is an eternity of separation or death. And what defines the two is this. Go back into First uh, Peter, the passage we read. It says, Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, so this is who we are to be, we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. We are chosen by Him to be obedient. To be obedient to God, to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled in His blood. There's a, there is a lot else that we could say, okay, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what you have to do in order to be pleasing to God. 
And a lot of it, you can boil it down to this. That you were chosen to be obedient to Him. You cannot be pleasing to God without faith. And yet God calls us to be faithful. Being faithful is being obedient to God. So then the question that we should ask is, are we being obedient to Jesus Christ? And that's a, that's a large question in our lives. That breaks down, and sometimes large questions, we kind of like, oh, we struggle with the thought of them. But he can break it down into very simple things. That each, each moment, each decision, are we being obedient to Jesus? Is this, is this moment, is this action, is this thought process on what we're doing right now in obedience to Him? Because we desire to be Him, His. The, the next part of that last little bit in verse 2. Uh, often when there's introductions, when there's greetings in a, in a, in a book, we kind of read through them, we kind of glance through them. But I want to I look at the end of verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. I, I like that. I like that phrasing. I like... I like those words. I like the, the sentiment. I like the truth of it. That when we are His, when we are obedient to Him and sprinkled with His blood, when we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus, that grace and peace is ours in abundance. And the truth of that, the wonderful part of that, is there is nothing that can happen in the world that takes this away. There is nothing that can happen in the world that will force this away from you. Now, you can walk away from Jesus. You can walk away from God. You can choose to be disobedient. You can choose to leave uh, your life uh, of being a follower of Christ. But if you continue on in, the, in verse 2 to be obedient to Jesus and washed with His blood, if you continue to do what He's asked you to do, then grace and peace is yours in abundance for an eternity. And Satan can't take that away from you. The world of sin can't take that away from you. The hardships of life can't take that away from you. Now, they, they may tempt us to walk away. And there may be hardships that, that really try your faith, your obedience. But again, he's saying, be obedient to me. Follow me. Be washed in my blood. And grace and peace is yours in abundance. More. More than we can handle. More than we could ever need. For an eternity of life in Him. Those are some wonderful words, aren't they? And sometimes we kind of look at them as a throw-in, as an introduction to a book. But they're powerful words. That grace and peace is ours in abundance. And I, I hope that leads into this understanding of the next part. And the next part... It says, praise, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
So this grace and peace that we have, that, that we live by, is because of this new birth that we have into a living hope. So you have grace, you have peace, you have hope. A living hope, because our God is alive, we've been given life. There is no spiritual death in Jesus. We have a living hope that we will live eternally with Him. Do you have this hope? Do you share in this hope? Do you share in that grace and that peace that comes in abundance? So now you see the question that's on the board. Do you have it? Yeah. Are you living like you have it? Are you living with that hope? There's a, there's a difference between the knowledge of something, right? You can know something, and the absolute understanding that this is foundational in my life and my actions are guided by it. Are we guided by our connection to the grace and peace that we have in abundance through obedience to Jesus? Through our new birth in Him? In the living hope in which we now stand and live through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? There's uh, quite a few different kinds of personalities, right? There are those that are, are fairly optimistic and always seem to be, you know, the glass is half full. And then there's some that are, what, a little more skeptical and the glass is half empty, right? And then there's some that are just saying, well, the glass is full. It's just full of two different things. Think about that for a second. It's either half full or half empty. Are we living with hope? You know, when we, no matter how we view the world, we have a hope that goes beyond us. It goes beyond our wisdom, our strength, our capabilities, our talents, our wealth, our power, our fame. It goes beyond anything that we have. Because it is grounded not in us. It is based not in us. Where does your hope come from? How, how is it that you have this, this living hope? Think about it. Is it you? Now we come with faith and we have this acceptance of Jesus, but we have this, and it says, let's read it again. Go into verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. So that new birth comes, why? Because He has given it to us. He has given us new birth. And that new birth leads us into a living hope, because He has given it to us, right? And into or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What part did we play there? He gave it to us. It's through Jesus Christ. What part did we play there? We played the part of accepting our role before God. Understanding that we are sinners. Understand that we have chosen poorly. And coming to Him and asking to be saved. Turning our lives over to Him. And we are ushered into this through what He has done. And it is amazing and wonderful. And because of it, because of what He has done, the Scripture also tells us then that we have this amazing and wonderful inheritance. This truly wonderful inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. I can't wait 
you know, I, I know that I have to wait. I know that there's things in this world that we have to do and continue to live. And I don't know how long that'll take. Don't know how long it'll take for Christ to come back. But don't we have a high level of anticipation of eternity? Of what that inheritance is going to be like? I, I'm not going to cry. I was at my grandma's funeral a, couple, a while ago, and my grandma and grandpa now are both, are both gone. And I went through my grandpa's funeral. I did the service for it, and I, I cried like a baby uh, through the whole, pretty much the whole thing. Uh, and so I told myself I was not going to cry at my grandma's. Not going to happen. Like a, like a rock. Solid. All right? And so I didn't. Didn't cry the whole time. I was happy with myself. Uh, because it's, it's distracting. As much as it's okay to be emotional, it was, it's harder for me to get through it. And then halfway uh, through the kind of the tea after, my uncle came over and called me over and all the, the children, my aunts and uncles, wanted to say thanks for doing it and okay, whatever, and they wanted to give me my grandpa's family ring as a thanks for doing it. And that's when I broke down and cried like I'm doing right now because it's an inheritance. It's a piece of, of them. And it reminds me of the closeness that we shared. And so when, when God tells us that you have an inheritance, it's a part of who we are. Not, not just then that we look forward to, but now, that we get to hold on to that. We get to, we get to cling to that living hope that we will then be with God for an eternity. And so when it talks about an inheritance, it's not something that we just look at and say, okay, I don't really need to think about that because it's so far off. We have no idea how far off it is. It's a part of who we are now. And when God calls us to be responding to that love, to be responding to that life that he's given us, it's because we feel that connection to him. Because we hold on to that inheritance everywhere we go. It's a kingdom that will never fade. Are you a part of that kingdom right now? You are. If you're washed by the blood of God, then you are a part of that kingdom now. You don't have to wait and say, well, I'll be a part of the kingdom that leads into eternity. You're a part of the kingdom. You're a part of the body now. And so we need to, we need to love that we are part of that and have that inheritance. Hold on to it and know what it means and what it understands and know what it leads us to. It doesn't mean that there won't be difficult times. And yet God deals with that too. He says this. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith, verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, last week we talked a little bit about the disciples and how, how Jesus had prayed for their protection. Well, here we have this understanding of faith that we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What does it mean that we are shielded by God's power? Okay, I've been here 
few years now, you guys should know what my favorite passage is because we've talked about it. So in Romans chapter 8, at the end of Romans chapter 8, there's this huge passage. And what does it talk about? That there is nothing, what? There is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And the list there is long. We are shielded by God's power. Talked about earlier, is there anything that can steal your salvation from you in all of creation? Now again, obviously we can walk away from God. We can choose no longer to be obedient, but cannot come in and steal your salvation. God has shielded us. He has protected us. He has given us his word. He has given us his spirit. He has guided us and taught us so that we have this hope in Him and know that we have this salvation that is in Him and that we have this eternity awaiting us and that we are not left alone to fend for ourselves against an enemy that will overpower us, but that we are bonded to Him. He is the head of the body of which we are a part. He has shielded us by His power. What does that lead into? I hope all of this, the understanding of all of this, or even the looking at that all of this, leads into great rejoicing. Let's continue to read. I'll put it up there. Verse 6 says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. In this, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. Because being his is great. you agree with that? That being his is great? I, I, I know the world we live in, and I know the difficulty of the world we live in. I, I know the difficulty of what it is to, to, to be sinful, to come out of sin, to need to, re, to repent. Being his is great. And to know the love of our Heavenly Father and to be washed clean and know for a certainty of where our eternity leads is great. 
And I don't think the knowledge of that is the struggle for most of us. I think the day-to-day response is the struggle. The each, each day living to praise Him. Living with this inexpressible and glorious joy, even though it says that you may have to suffer for a little while. Of each day living to bring praise and glory to Him in each action, in each thought, in each deed. Because being His is great. Pleasing Him is great. This, we don't appreciate so much. The idea that we still have to suffer. The idea that there still might be hardship. The idea that we still might have to go through things that are are difficult, whether they're of our own making or not. And that's one of the the struggles of life, isn't it? I mean, one of the, the... You can do lots of talking around uh, thoughts and around different topics, but this is one of the real struggles that each and every one of us faces, is that there is going to be struggles and suffering in life and how we deal with them. Do we remind ourselves how great it is to be His? Do we continue to focus on faith in this inexpressible and glorious joy that we have to be pleasing to Him? One of, the, one of the great thoughts, and I mean great thoughts in all of Scripture is this. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because of this. And focus on this, this thought for a second. For you are receiving the end result of of your faith the salvation of your souls isn't that amazing i mean just think about what life means then in context to this think about the value of life the value of being his even the value of going through hardships faithfully the value of knowing hope and joy Because this is true. Because we are chosen to be obedient to Him. I want to close this morning by continuing to read in the same passage. So if you're in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, you can stay there. Uh, If you're not there, go ahead and open it up. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you.